Welcome to Utopian Horizons. Hello and welcome to Utopian Horizons. My name is Paul and today we're going to be talking to returning guest uh, Trevor Strunk from the No Cartridge video games podcast. Um, Trevor was on quite a while ago to talk to us about Snatcher but yeah Trevor's got a book coming out which is about um, kind of video games and their reception and evolution over time and how their kind of um, reception from like fan culture has shaped and, and changed them he'll explain a bit more about that when we talk to him that's better than, than me trying to explain it now but in this um in this conversation that we have we primarily focus on a bit of the book that he's written about horror now something i i like to do on utopian horizons is, is kind of look at fiction in terms of its its social uh and political context like how it comes out of that how it reflects elements um back into that context the kind of relationship between between fiction and reality I guess you could say in a in a broad sense and that's definitely something that Trevor's interested in in doing here and I think the way that he thinks about horror video games and the series that he talks about is kind of similar to a lot of the the work we've done in terms of looking at dystopias he's very concerned with like what like what is the context that the the fears that these horror games are based on uh, emerges out of like what what is the what's the political situation that's created these fears and that, and that have made these things emerge in in video games so yeah it's kind of um some parallels there in terms of like how we think about how dystopia works um and we talk a bit about some other stuff as well like a, a bit of apocalypse chat it was nice to have some uh, fun light-hearted apocalypse chat but um yeah it's a good conversation it's, it's one i hope you enjoy and as i always say when i do video game stuff um, i hope you'll still uh give it give it a, give it a go even if you're you're not into video games because i think you'll still understand what we're talking about even if you don't know games and i do try to uh clarify some things i, I try not to assume too much knowledge um when we're chatting so hopefully we clarify stuff for people who aren't playing video games I, I don't know why i always feel the need to like apologize for, for like video game stuff as opposed to other mediums but i just feel like yeah some people can feel very turned off by video games if you don't know them they can seem very alienating and kind of difficult to penetrate i think but um yeah hopefully this isn't isn't so a couple of things to get out of the way before we talk to trevor i guess um I can't remember if I mentioned this on the last episode or not. I think I did, but I'm going to mention it again now. Um, I kind of started a new project. Well, I kind of revived the project that I the uh, which is Get Object, the podcast I used to do with um, Rosie. But through that, I've been doing uh, some video game writing, some uh, videos as well. Um, so I've started a series writing about uh, objects and video games. I've done a, an article about which I think will be interesting for for people here, for uh, the utopians among you. I've done an article about a game called Sludge Life, which is kind of a little open, like kind of mini open world where you go around doing graffiti. And I've kind of used it to write about the politics of, of space and like how, um, yeah, how our city is kind of policed and, and controlled. Um, so it's very much about kind of, uh, yeah, the politics around space and like, what a political approach to space would look like so yeah there's that i've done a video on uh some cool little pick eight games on um an interview with the guy who made umarangi generation which is a cool photography video game if you're not aware uh, i've got a podcast interview up, up with him as well so if you're interested in seeing any of that just go to getobject.net and you can find all the stuff i'll be doing there it'd be really cool if you could if you could check that out because uh, I've put um, a lot of work into it. But anyway, uh, that's that. Last time I also mentioned, like, I realised that if if everyone who listened to the show uh, went to the Patreon, patreon.com slash utopian horizons, and was able to give just like $1 a month, that would make a massive impact on on how regularly I could do the show and things like that. 
unfortunately, there was there wasn't a massive uh, swell in, in subscriptions there. But but thank you to the couple of you that that did do that. And um, yeah, if you do want to help support the show, if you want me to do it more often, which which I would like to do, then uh, please consider going to patreon.com slash Topian Horizons. And yeah, yeah, you can get access to to bonus episodes and stuff there as as well. So that's all there. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, and reviews of the podcast would be very helpful as well uh, on whatever you're listening to. So on five star reviews, please, that would be good. Um, okay, enough enough of all that promo stuff. Let's just get on to our conversation with Trevor. I am joined now by returning guest uh, Trevor Strunk. Trevor was on quite a while ago to talk about Snatcher and uh, yeah he's returned today to talk about something else um thank you very much for coming on again Trev hey of course absolutely happy to be back um I feel like I don't know how many times we've each been on each other's podcasts I know you've been on mine at least once maybe maybe twice I you've been on this is the second time you've been on my one I've been on your I believe I've been on yours three times wow okay uh what did we we talked about uh, I've obviously I pretty much invited myself on to try and promote my Kickstarter uh, most recently. There was one where we talked about. Like, I... uh, did we talk about Ibridin? Maybe. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Okay. And I think on one we talked about Get Object when that was still a going concern. No, did we? Did, was Disc World Noir the same one where we talked about um, Ibridin, or was that a different one? We talked about this. That's a really good definitely. question. I think we actually talked about both of those in the same one, which, in retrospect, is wildly ambitious. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But but anyway, um, Trevor is coming to talk. So you've got a you've got a book coming up, Trevor. I do have a book coming out. So um, to 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 kind of yeah to set the context for for what we're going to talk be talking about, can you tell people about this book first of all? Of course, yeah. So. Um, I have a book coming out. Uh, if you've listened to my podcast, uh, No Cartridge, uh, it's it's a lot like that. Um, if you haven't listened to my podcast, No Cartridge, uh, which is certainly possible, uh, even likely, uh, basically I look at video games from sort of a, a I guess I don't I don't know if I'd say higher brow. I, I just kind of I kind of complicate video games or try to um, or complicate the consideration of them. So I don't typically think about games just in terms of uh, play. Uh, I'll think about them in terms of cultural impact, uh, what they're trying to do, uh, and mm-hmm. also, you know, most relevantly for story mode, uh, that's the name of the book, um, in sort of the, uh, their place is kind of like a cultural continuum. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, story mode is um, kind of a, a the very specific uh, look at, I guess, um, I don't want to say they're all franchises because some of them are, are um, two chapters kind of break the mold a little bit mm. and are um, uh, genres. So I do a, a chapter on first person shooters and a chapter on um, survival horror. Uh, but even then, like, you know, I focus in on franchises, Doom and Call of Duty, uh, Resident Evil, uh, things like that. But uh, I, I the book primarily looks at long running franchises um, and the, the, the basic question I wanted to ask when I started it, and actually it ended up being the question I ended up asking during the book too, which is rare for me to, to keep with the same focus, uh, <laughs> you know, from, from intro, from like intro idea to, uh, to actual like final product is, you know, like what in these long things, like a, say like a Final Fantasy, for instance, what is the initial goal that the developers have when they first make the, the first game? And how does that goal change over time? And how much of that goal's difference uh, over time is related to audience reception? Uh, because as it happens, audience reception in video games is like far more of a big deal than uh, in, in, honestly, I would, I would almost go so far as to say any art that I can think of. Um, mm, yeah. the, 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 the audience's demands, um, concerns, uh, anger, joy, uh, more so anger than joy with that group, um, you know, determine how developers change their products and change their, uh, not just their products, but like the actual sort of um, 
guiding principle of their work. And I, I just found that fascinating. And I wanted to think about like why that happens, how it happens and sort of like what we can, what we can glean politically from it, if, if there is anything much at all. And sometimes there's not, but oftentimes there is. Yeah. So we have a, I think we're, we're primarily going to be talking a bit about the, um, what you wrote about for your, your first chapter of the book. Cause that's one I've read. Um, yeah, that's so naturally, so yeah, we, yeah, we, we had a, we, yeah, we basically had a conversation about this. I, I think this will be, um, I think this will be a cool thing to talk about because I think having read the chapter, I think there are some, in terms of how you think about horror, there are some kind of resonances there with how dystopia works and how dystopia functions. Not to say that they're the, they're the same thing or that they function in exactly the same way because I don't think they do. But there are definitely some similarities in terms of them being modes of fiction that are built on like representing our fears in, in some way and like that being key to how they how they work. Yeah, I agree. And, I, you know, I, I think, like, one thing I'd say that I've noticed since, you know, I, I guess, like, I haven't noticed this in games that were out when I wrote this book, and, and certainly not in games that have even been released yet. But definitely in terms of the way people think about dystopias, and particularly in terms of, like, um, a, a genre of podcasts that I don't ever talk about, but I listen to a lot of uh, horror fiction, um, like, people are obsessed with pandemic related dystopia now um and i expect we'll be seeing a lot more pandemic related um horror uh which of course doesn't mean like the pandemic itself is like the scary thing as i'm sure will will work out but like that particular fear mobilizing that particular fear has been huge for people in thinking about apocalypse scenarios effectively like what's the end of the world look like well everyone caught a disease has kind of um uh double jumped uh, climate change and um, nuclear war in everyone's sort of like immediate imagination. Yeah. So, so to kind of start us off, could you kind of give us a, a kind of brief overview overview of like how you, like what you think horror does or like how it functions? Like sure. Yeah. So the way I sort of think about horror in the chapter is, I mean, it's the way I think about horror in general, although I think in video games is a lot more specific to a sort of... Um, let me put it this way in in horror fiction i feel that um you end up with more of a focus on the tragic or the or the um the sort of like the mode of uh sort of tragic terror sadness baked in with like regret stuff like that ending up with horror like every sort of horror story has something that happens that could have been avoided, right? Uh, whether or not the characters could have avoided it or someone could have avoided it like 200 years previously, typically there's something that could have been avoided. Or if it isn't avoided, then it's the tragedy is like, this was always going to happen. Um, I don't think video games are, are as concerned with um, tragedy, though. I think they're more so concerned with representing, um, the horror video games, with representing a, a kind of... Um, social fear um that can be allegorized um and we see this in like zombie movies right like um mm -hmm. and you know famously dawn of the dead is said by you know every single person who has ever you know taken a film <laughs> course like it's about yeah. capitalism like they're in a mall they're all zombies right yeah. and, and like it, just because it's an obvious take doesn't mean it's wrong like yes that's sure. absolutely <laughs> there <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. but like i you know it's it's interesting looking at something like, say, Resident Evil, because yes, it takes place in a mansion, and yes, the mansion is sort of broken down, but like, while there's a kind of Faulknerian sort of like uh, decay prevalent in, uh, you know, in that game in terms of the setting and in Resident Evil 7 in terms of like the actual plot of the game, the, the, the game itself is not about capitalism. It's not as easy to map on... Um, that kind of like straightforward, like, oh, so this, this is about this social issue. This is about like consumerism, or this is about like, you know, even, even if, you know, th you think about the plot, it's about like medical uh, experimentation gone too far. It's not really what Resident Evil is about. That's the, that's the motivating force. But to me, like those early games, those early, uh, like thinking of Resident Evil, thinking about Alone in the Dark, um, thinking even about Silent Hill, right? These the sort of early survival horror games such that, you know, your character is in a world with scarce resources that ha and they have to stay alive, uh, you know, by hook or by crook. 
it's a fear of um, isolation. It's a fear of being alone and surrounded by um, unthinking uh, monsters that have nothing to do with you, right? And so, like, that's the that's the central concern. Is like, you know, we you're being you're you're alienated from everyone else. And so, like, unlike in a film where you can kind of like set it such that it has this direct kind of like consumerist anti-consumerist messaging video games have video games almost abstract themselves out more to and sometimes not even intentionally sometimes it is like this sort of mm. um Jungian kind of like collective unconscious although i don't go into that in the book but i think that's probably true you know it's not it's not necessarily like the developers necessarily you know think about this it's kind of fits right it fits a certain moment um and those early games fit the moment of like feeling like you are going to be alone forever. The kind of like, you know, anonymity and isolation that was uh, very much of the moment in certainly pre 2000, pre 9 11 uh, life. And then I think certainly pre kind of like, you know, uh, the ubiquity of the internet life. Okay. I, I want to ask you about that a bit more in a moment and kind of dig into that. Yeah, but just, um, just just first of all uh something that i thought was quite interesting in the, in the chapter was the where you talked about like how um for horror to be successful so, like horror video games to be successful there's this thing of like kind of having to um like find a balance between like individual fear and societal fears like uh-huh, this uh-huh. idea that you have you have to kind of like obviously you have to you have to kind of individually scare the person who's playing the game it's going to be successful right. but you're yes. also you're also trying to like you're resonating with something broader and there's a kind of a yeah i just wonder if you could talk about that a bit yeah for sure i mean this is like this is the i think this is the problem I'm, I'm also pulling up my chapter right now so i'm not uh, just pulling off the top of my head uh, because I'm realizing like I'm at that horrible point where people who will ask me about the book are more familiar with it than I am. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, like, uh, so like I say in the book, uh, horror is expected to scare its audience. Um, that's one thing that's true. The success of the horror genre depends on keying into its audience's fears as specifically as possible. And because of points one and two, horror must reflect societal fears back at its audience that are resonant enough to supersede everyone's individual and discrete experiences of those fears. Um, so like the idea there is, you know, it's, um, you know, kind of goes back to the old Mel Brooks, uh, quote that I, that I love to reference in, you know, thousands of different ways, um, which is, you know, uh, tragedy is when I cut my finger. Comedy is when you fall into an open sewer and die. Um, and like, there's a, there's a real sort of like poignancy to horror there as well in that, like, so like, if I knew your own if i knew your personal like greatest fear or something like that i'm sure i could make a movie that would scare you particularly right right like you know this is this is the movie about like for me it would be like oh this is the movie about um you've you've lost all your memory and like you're also you know trapped somewhere where you have to starve to death or something right like like the the mm-hmm. taking particular fears of the person it's like yeah okay that's scary to me and maybe scary to hundreds of other people but no one really I mean, I guess this is its own horror story if they did. No one really goes out of their way to create something that would specifically scare, like, one person, right? It's not like it's not like people are going out to create, like, novels or short stories or films or anything that's like, okay, I'm going to scare my friend Paul, right? Like, that would, that would be... <laughs> it would seem quite vindictive. It would seem quite vindictive. Yeah, terrifying <laughs> in its own way. I mean, it's like, it's yeah. actually kind of a good concept. But, like, the, you know, like, but, like, at the same point, it can't be super general uh, as well, right? It has to be the sense of there has to be something specific that's scary going on. It can't just be like you can't make a horror movie. And, and I guess you kind of can because you get those sort of like A24, very uh, artsy horror movies where like the the in the end, what's scary is other people or something like that. But like those don't feel like horror movies or like those don't feel like horror in the same way that say something like that's artsy, but specifically get out uh, feels like right. Get out feels like a horror movie. The reason get out feels like a horror movie is because like, there's very specific things that are scary about that, you know, being taken over, having your body, uh, you know, brought out of your control. Um, the, the, the idea of being trapped and unable to speak. Um, but like, you know, still sort of like, um, uh, living, uh, and then also the sort of general fear, which is um, the fear of sort of like 
white liberalism papering over um, racism such that like racist uh, 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 aggression never actually gets um, uh, ameliorated. And so Mm -hmm. like, if you just had the thing where it's like, oh, you know, this is about like people who get trapped, then you sort of have like a slasher without, without the teeth. Um, You know, like you have, you have like a sequel to a slasher, right? Like some of those sequels, like, um, which I love, but like some of the sequels, like Friday the 13th, eight, right? Jason takes New York. I don't think there's anything generally scary about that in there, right? It's it's literally the scary thing is Jason. Jason is Mm -hmm. the scary thing, but that's also not a film like you really get scared by. It's a film that's popcorn, right? The scary thing has to be there's something terrifying, e.g. a monster or some sort of horrifying experience that speaks to a more sort of like human fear at its core. Um, in a sense, like this is what I do in the book and trying to make like very easy to, well, not very easy, but like easier to digest uh, dialectics. And in this case, you sort of have the dialectic of, you know, general and specific. When we actually think about them kind of close together, the specific starts to look a lot like the general and the general starts to look a lot like the specific. And that kind of resolution ends up being the experience of, of sort of like being scared, I guess. Mm. Okay, cool. So, so in the case of um, the, the, the games we've already mentioned, so uh, Resident Evil, Alone in the Dark, um, and sometimes I forget to do this because, <laughs> so I'm going to do that now. Uh, for anyone who's listening who doesn't play video games, as Trevor mentioned, these are games very, these are horror games very much focused on loneliness. So Resident Evil, you're yeah, as you said, alone in a uh, kind of abandoned, decrepit mansion uh, with zombies in it. Alone in the Dark, uh, I haven't actually played directly, but it's in an old house as well, right? So yeah, Alone in the Dark, I, I really included because, and, and it's funny because like the sequels are much less um, beloved, and, and it seems like there's a reason for that. Uh, right. They're sort of less. Um, they're less like, um, I don't know, they're less original. Alone in the Dark was, was kind of important because it was this like, it was this game that first explored that idea of just like, okay, you were doing this like underpowered character in this house. There's something wrong with this house. You're not sure what it is. Eventually something's going to come out and attack you, but you're going to be creeped out first. Like it was, it was, a, it was the original sort of game that, that like everyone was talking mm-hmm. about because it terrified them. Right. right. Um, it's a similar similar to um to Resident Evil although uh, one of my favorite reviews um from the entire book I looked up a lot of contemporary reviews for this mm-hmm. um and uh uh um I think it's James Ardai I know it's Ardai is his last name A R D A I um it's a very veteran uh video games uh writer reviewer um Charles Ardai excuse me um wrote a review of Alone in the Dark where he pretended to be like an old colonel who, <laughs> who like stumbled into the house and it, it's wonderful. Um, but yeah, like you, you can look at these reviews and you see things like um, the, the thing that was so scary about it. It said like none of the other simulations he, uh, of course he says simulations cause he's the colonel. None of the other simulations right. I had experienced previously in my dreams had the effect of like making me scared, making me lean forward to my seat, make me care about the characters. Um, it only exists on the glass, but I feel as though I've been inside a real house. And so like both of these games are about making you feel as if you are inside the actual sort of like terror of the, of the situation at core they're you know, explore a spooky house kind of place or explore a spooky space. Um, but the idea is, is always about immersion. Right. So we are in this period where we're kind of mid to late nineties here. Mm-hmm. So yeah yeah leading what, up into the 2000s yeah so bearing in mind that you, you you've you've kind of already set out this idea of like these games expressing like a, a kind of societal fear what what is the kind of cultural moment or like social context or political context that that is kind of generating this um fear of like loneliness of, of being alone well so i i um i tie it to everyone's least favorite term um unfortunately uh which is neoliberalism but um i was like that's one of my favorite terms oh good 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 <laughs> uh, yeah it's it, it's become everyone's least favorite term because people have um absolutely robbed it of any sort of actual like meaning so like a lot of times when people say neoliberal now they mean exactly what it was never meant to be which is like 
Al Gore. Like it's not yeah. it's not neoconservative for liberals. Um, yeah, it's it's the the most annoying thing about the term neoliberalism is is the the people who tell you that uh, neoliberal neoliberalism doesn't or, or never existed in, right. in any form, and it's just like uh, something that crazy extremist leftists have made up. Right. It's like I love that. It, it's great because like and it's it's like it's basically you can imagine the Austrians just like doing the opposite of spinning in their graves, like grinning in their I don't know, like yeah. party in their <laughs> graves. Because like the, the, the very idea that this Pure is ideology. Just like, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, oh great, no one no one even knew we were here. Um Yeah, yeah so I, I tie it to neo to like the the to neoliberalism and like one sort of neoliberal boom uh in the nineteen nineties. Because like you sort of get this um, this sense of just like extreme uh, production of um, you know economic economic uh, opportunity on the back of you know it's hard to say anon anonymity is a feature of neoliberalism such that you know it's not like you stop mattering as like a person that your ID is is less valuable because like, you know, uh, the gold standard changed or something like that. But in the way that workers become less valuable, more sort of like mechanistic in the way that like, everything becomes the sort of, you know, after the kind of uh, Volcker shock of the 60s, and leading into this understanding of un unchained capital, uh, without regulation, how like, people become far less important than companies and assets and um, you know, like the actual sort of specialization of a person is uh, far less important than the way one can buy and sell and, you know, steadily increase profits, um, even more so than in, you know, earlier modes of capitalism, like Fordism. Um, you know, that is sort of what I tie it to, right? I say like, um, you know, the 1990s uh, connectivity was just starting to be supercharged, cheaper pre-installed modems. So we sort of have the internet starting to to uh, build up, which is a huge driver in neoliberalism in the 90s and 2000s. Um, average people get online. Uh, the internet era brought everyone into the same place without really increasing human connection, um, streamlining interests and all that. Uh, but the feeling of being alone among millions, I say, was now relevant whether or not you got to ride the subway with them daily. Um, the fear, uh, of like being alone amongst a bunch of people who don't recognize you as human or don't recognize you or that you recognize as not human like you, right? Uh, different people who are different, um, but are sort of like those differences are plastered over in the interest of making more money. Um, that's like, that's very uncanny. That's terrifying. There's a sort of like fear present in that, that like, you know, starts making you wonder like if you play the resident evil games there's some there there are moments where you're like okay am i like the only the only person left in this world who actually has like the agency that i have and like yeah. that that's a horrible thing to think about other people but it is something that neoliberalism encourages you to think about the other people around you every day because you are constantly thinking of them in terms of utility in terms of your own ability to make money um and if you're not then they are they are or some other agency is thinking that about you um and so like the the yeah i, I think i don't want to i don't want to say too like i don't want to go too too far but yeah like it's it's um it's just this loneliness i say rampant business first irregulatory practices had made the poor even poorer disenfranchised and forced to labor for the continued valorization of the few hundred people who profited who wouldn't feel a bit lonely and mm -hmm. so that's the that's the fear that i think these games are are playing into even if it's just like this general fear of like, man, everyone seems to be scared of being lonely anymore. Uh, you know, none of them are like, you know, you don't find uh, you don't find uh, Rothbard in a in like a shelf in a Resident Evil Mansion. But uh, I mean, you could, right? As, 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 as but you don't. I mean, it's 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 not about capital. It's about uh, uh, alienate alienate yeah alienation. I get yeah. I mean, I, I guess the the, the kind of destruction of the, the the social was kind of like an explicit uh part of the the neoliberal project i mean you have the 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 thatcher saying there there is no such thing as society or whatever it was something close to that yeah so yeah i mean that that completely fits in with this this idea of of being alone like it's this this kind of attempt of neoliberalism to destroy like 
ideas of community and solidarity and uh all these other things um i i guess i guess resident evil 2 still fits in nicely with that formula as well like being set in a city which is a place that you're supposed to be it's just place you're supposed to not feel alone because you're supposed to be surrounded by people you're, you're supposed to right, be in like this yeah. place but you do not feel like that in in uh, resident evil 2 no and it's, it's horrifying because like you like the scariest parts of resident evil 2 are when you're in like the police station and nothing is there like it's not it, it's 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 so like it's it's weird to say that because of course it's pre a lot of our contemporary fears of policing and much more in the in the mold of the uh like the sort of um rodney king riots and and the the distrust of the lapd that come along with it like it is it's still like it's terrifying to see your character in a place where like oh um there's supposed to be like police and prisoners and like business and like you know humanity here like it's supposed to be a crush of humanity and there's nothing like that's very very that's a a really really effective thing to do like if you think about capcom i don't think i even talk about this like in um in the book but like i do say like you know it opens the world into cities and police stations sprawling labs etc but it's always in tight quarter corridors limited supplies loneliness like that's those are the the mechanical functions of the game like i don't really say this in the book but i think it's true like shifting from a mansion where like yeah, okay, like, it is weird that you're the only person in the mansion, and it's this big, um, you and your team, but, like, it is an abandoned mansion, like, it's okay, you mm. kind of expect it to be, haunted houses aren't, like, milling with people, typically, yeah. um, but, like, a police station and a city is, and so to, to sort of take that um, formula and say, okay, now it's happening in a place where you typically would find a lot of people, is really smart. Like it, it, it's this way of sort of doubling down on the idea and saying, like, yeah, the whole point of this is no one's around anymore. Yeah. So, the other, the kind of the other, or a key part of this this chapter is you you kind of talk about this shift that happens in what the theory is we're dealing with and how that's reflected in these series that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, can you talk us through that? What what's the shift? That like what how's that? come out in 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 these games so i i have a lot of i have a lot of thoughts about this and like this is it was it was easier to come up with the shift in the uh first person shooter chapter because the shift like a lot of times i I don't want to say this is in every chapter but a lot of times there will be a shift right Mm -hmm. in like the metal gear solid chapter there's not one it's 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 purely a story about an audience and an auteur uh, interacting with each other um so it doesn't happen every time but like in this and the first person shooter chapter, there's an immediate shift that changes the way we think about these games. And in the first person shooter chapter, it's easy. It's 9-11, right? After 9-11, mm-hmm. the concept of guns and militarization changed dramatically, um, even more so than after. Um, and this is from an American perspective, but like a lot of the, um, I wouldn't say dramatics, but like a lot of the concern about guns and like what's going to happen when our kids have all these guns. I, I'll, I'll, I'm realistic enough to know that is primarily like an American deregulated gun culture kind of concern. Um, but, uh, you know, like that's an easy one. This one's tougher, right? Like, cause yeah, there's nine 11, which is like, I say, it's like, you does force a hyper aware surveillance mindset onto not only America, but most other first world nations that all get infected with paranoic fantasies of the, you know, Oh, oh, oh God, it can happen here kind of thing. Um, there's the Iraq war, which is like a, a sort of for Americans, I think, like a psyche shattering moment where like a lot of people realize like, oh, we can just do like completely illegal wars because this is like a generation that was not really around for Vietnam. Right. Or, or the generation who realized this maybe weren't around for Vietnam. Let me say that. And are seeing Iraq in real time. And it's like, oh, wow. OK, this is <laughs> this is bad. Um and like you know, it, it, all this stuff, right? There's all sorts of things. And I say like the loyalty to Western idealism superseded the sense of global interconnection, right? This is what this is what like the the symptom is, right? If 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 neoliberalism is global interconnection, then after somewhere late in the 2000s, and eventually I say like probably, let's just chart it to the 2008 financial collapse after uh, the housing crisis collapsed in the U.S., causing a global. Um, a global sort of uh depression uh mm-hmm. like it's it's 
we get the sense of like we have to save the west which is a, a sort of like racial or a racist kind of like nationalist project that was not really thinkable in the 90s uh, but mm -hmm. is extremely on the front of everyone's mind in the 2000s um i say everyone's very glibly there i i, I wasn't looking to preserve the west I, I don't think a lot of people were but a lot of people <laughs> in government were yeah. um yeah. uh but like it also it's preserve the West, but also please keep it all deregulated and keep corporations profitable. And so it's this weird, like mess of, we need, um, global interconnection. We need neoliberalism to keep going, but there's also an axis of evil that we need to now like fight against. And so like within all that effectively, we have like, um, this extraordinarily defamiliarizing space, particularly for Americans, I'll admit, but like globally as well. Um, and like it is it is like the the moment where we get like i'll put it glibly at this moment we get more guns in horror games right like yeah. it's this fear of being overrun that all of a sudden becomes like a big deal and resident evil 4 is the is the game that that cements this because all of a sudden we don't have a scarcity problem like we do in mm -hmm. neoliberalism, which is like totally the fear of neoliberalism. What if we run out? So we have to connect with everyone. And then, of course, like what if you're alone? That is the the utter fear of neoliberalism. You can never be alone. And in this, the fear is you are never alone, right? Like you you are overrun at all times. And this is, of course, the, the, the paranoid, uh, you know, right-wing fear post 9-11 is like not only can it happen here, but it will happen here if we don't like take – precautions everyone is a suspect everyone is 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 probably going to attack us um and i say like you know th this creates a problem for the game right like how do, how do we keep it scary um and literally it's just by introducing more enemies you sort of, you sort of like you amp up everything just like everything has been amped up in um in, in sort of like american and global um life you know you even get the zombie elements in um you get the zombie elements of uh call of call of duty games you get sort of the the open world like crowded with zombies dying light like the, the zombie games become less about like a a building tension and much more about a like you know like you have a chain gun and you are being overrun kind of fear yeah and again just for just for people who are not aware if you're if you're playing like resident evil resident evil 2 they're actually relatively few zombies like you you have quite long periods where there's there's kind of nothing happening and then you'll go into like an alleyway and there'll be like two zombies or something and they're right. they're slow and kind of ambling like there's like you say it's a lot of, of tension building and then like breaking tension as you're saying in these games there are loads of zombies and they're kind of a lot faster and yeah as you say more more guns, more bullets. So there's a big difference there. Yeah. And like, I think, you know, I, I mentioned like towards the end, I kind of start thinking about ways that, um, you know, this impacts the horror genre in general. And you know, I talk about Resident Evil 7, which kind of is this interesting Resident Evil 5 and 6 are kind of unexceptional. I'll, I'll just say up top. I don't find them mm -hmm. super exceptional. Um, someone else could probably make the argument that they are. I'm, I'm, would love to hear the argument um but like it is like resident evil 7 feels like uh the texas chainsaw massacre it feels like a w without leatherface it feels like a film where you know the people who are our antagonists are just like funhouse mirrors of ourselves like versions of ourselves that we can actually recognize as seemingly human but of course like still vaguely zombie like but intelligent um you know cruel sadistic um and just like, you know, with, with no real remorse. And it's the sense of, you know, these are the people around us. These are the people who can, who can hurt us, right? And what we see in the streets. Same with something like PT, the, the Silent Hill reboot, um, where, you know, the scary thing is in your house. You are in your house and you're like, you're wandering around and you are just accosted by horrifying images, um, which are inexplicable outside of like small snippets of newspapers and things like that that are explaining this trauma you've experienced um and like I, I even go to say like i even make the probably you know maybe even irritating uh, 
connection to Among Us. Because Among Us isn't a scary game, but the tension in Among Us is the same in all of these games. Among Us being this sort of viral uh, iOS, Steam, Epic Store, whatever platform you want to play it on game where you play these sort of like cute little alien guys in a spaceship or and one or two of them is an imposter trying to sabotage the spaceship and your goal is to figure out who those are um typically by voting and, and um cooperating with others and so like a well-orchestrated game effectively works like a whodunit but almost no game is well orchestrated and so it's just a mess of interpersonal beef uh strange accusations lies um it's fascinating um, you know, like even to the point that someone made a very real and I don't know, bizarre complaint that uh, AOC, uh, 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 Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez <laughs> uh, played played among us on stream and in fact has has so distrust of politicians as a result, which is just like, yeah. I, I don't make that claim. I will totally not. But like, um, you know, it's it's this. You know, I conclude with saying, like, you know, we're, we're as a species, we're faced with, you know, catastrophic climate collapse. We have, like, centuries of sedimented tension against very, uh, due to moral atrocities committed against various races, classes, genders, and nation. And just a doubt that we can, like, make this all work. And it's like, it, we can find fear in the fact that, like, oh, God, like, our home itself has been compromised by by the terror that in fact we saw as something existing in the unhome like or the unheim like uncanny in something like resident evil um that resident evil 7 is saying like this is actually a version of your home it's not this strange mansion it's not even a strange city this is like literally your home um kitty horror shows uh excellent and actually anyone can play this and i would suggest you do even if you don't play video games um you can get it on itch uh it's a game called anatomy and it is effectively like a game where you're searching through this house for VHSs and uh, VHS tapes and clues and stuff. And uh, very quickly, this isn't a spoiler because it becomes very quickly obvious that the antagonist of the game is the house itself, right? It's this, it's this fear of the home itself becoming a, a threat. And like this fear of history, this fear of, 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 of place, this fear of sort of sense of like, I don't know, like all, all those things combined are terrifying, but at the same point, and I think this is crucial because, of course, this is true of the Resident Evil games under neoliberalism as well. Not that we're out of neoliberalism, but that we're fueled by a fear uh, of, like, you know, interconnection, um, unregulated interconnection, is that, you know, it's fun, too. It's a sort of cathartic release. It's fun to sort of feel. And I, I think this is, and I, I would love to hear your thought on this because I think this is true of dystopias, too, right? Like, we read about these things and listen about these things, not because we want to actually consider our own world ending, but because like there's something helpful about like experiencing it vicariously. Yeah. I think it, it, it's kind of, yeah, I guess you I guess you can, can, can experience different ways. Cause it's, it should be, it's weird. Cause like reading a, a dystopia, which is like, a warning about where your society heading and how it's all going to end so dreadfully shouldn't be an enjoyable experience on like on like some level if you see what i mean like yeah no be... absolutely it should be horrifying like <laughs> yeah, you I, should not want to do it no uh, and like it i i find like i i would say like dystopian dystopian fiction is my is the one thing that like is the, it's it's the it's the genre that has to be done exactly right for me or else I am just like uninterested. Like, yeah, I, 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 I can't I, deal with it if it's not really, really beautiful and, and, and great. No, I, I, but I think more often than not in, in dystopian fiction, there is that, um, or, or in what I would consider like uh, dystopian fiction, at least that has the correct kind of politics. There is mm -hmm, a, mm -hmm. there's also a, there's also a tendency not to, represent the dystopia as like an inevitability like the you, you, like right that's part of, of what you that's part of the catharsis i guess or like the, the there has to be like some hope there like some idea that this is okay this is a this is a direction we're heading in but there is uh this is not an inevitability like history is not um it's not on on like a, on rails like the the the, mm, the, mm -hmm. the where we where where we are now is like based on contingencies and various battles that have been won and lost and that there is always like a 
a hope that the dystopia could could change or you know there's there's yeah possibility for some kind of like agency so yeah, yeah that's that's always there i think or, or is it it's often there i think like i think the i think the um the other question with it is like uh or the other point with it is the you know you think about horror and you think about the the most reactionary horror and it's almost always something like I mean, and this can also be very enjoyable. Like, don't get me wrong, I, I enjoy this horror, but like, I would say something like H.P. Lovecraft is is kind of obviously uh, reactionary horror. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons it's so reactionary is because like, there's nothing you could do about it. Like, you, you can't, right, yeah. you can't, like, you can't stop Cthulhu. He's gonna, he's gonna sneak on in. Um, he's like, he's he's chilling at the bottom of the ocean. Like, one day he's gonna wake up, and you know, you're gonna see all the cosmic horror. And like while that's interesting, it doesn't tell us anything, right? Like it doesn't yeah. actually like convey anything to us. Um, and so as a result, it's like I, I don't know. Like I think, I think the I think it's like it's it's um, it's tricky. Like it, it's a tricky concept. Like it's it's hard to make anything that is cathartic where it's unavoidable. Um, which is probably why we don't see many games like literally about climate change, right? Like there's something there's something so sort of like with our understandings and fears of climate change, there it feels like there's something kind of horrible about about it, right? Um, that it's unavoidable. Uh, but I don't know. You're you're smarter with this stuff than I am. I have a really hard time wrapping my head around dystopias. <laughs> well, uh, I, yeah. I mean, I mean, one of one of the things I was just just thinking of is kind of the the difference between dystopia and utopia. I, I wonder if there's sorry dystopian horror. Like, um, I wonder if there's I wonder if horror is able to kind of cross political boundaries a bit more freely because mm-hmm. like a dystopia is generally going to have like some kind of pretty easily readable politics. Whereas yeah. like what you, what you were talking about with say like among us and this thing of like a kind of like a fear of, of like the, the threat being like in us or like in our community or something like you can easily imagine that you could, you could look at that from like a leftist perspective or you could look at it in terms of climate change and that you could For think sure. like, right, it's it's our society that's like, it's us in the West who are like consuming at the rate that's that's like um, destroying us, that the threat is here. Like it's our <laughs> governments. You could also see it, you could read it in terms of like the, the I think you can see a shift in like the fears of, of, of the extreme right from what you were talking about in terms of the, the kind of post 9-11 era of like this invading foreign force that the fear now is like they are they're like um they're there there's a conspiracy like they're already in our government like the 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 woke uh gay racial like threat is like taking over our country from within so oh yeah talk so to you the, can the farmer like, up the road as a sign up about it how we shouldn't teach uh diversity in our schools because it it delimits okay. academic freedom uh, lovely yeah it's good it's, <laughs> yeah. it's live in a great place yeah but yeah I, ju- I just think like this kind of i guess ties back to what you said in the beginning about like um horror having to, to kind of have this kind of broad societal tap into like broad societal fears i just wonder if it can kind of um move across political boundaries a bit more easily than like dystopia can yeah i think i think you're probably right like i think you know like one of the reasons that that horror can move across that is because ultimately you don't necessarily need to you don't even really have to engage with that question right of like okay so like what is there left to save right because you can with horror, you can actually create like a, a truly pessimistic ending, right? Where every take the slasher, for instance, and like I think one of the smartest horror movies out there, maybe the smartest. It's my favorite, but I I, I would have to think about if it's the smartest, but it, it might be. Um, is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and that's a that's a slasher. I mean, it's just a slasher. Like it, like at its core, it's it's a movie about like people who are uh, very scary, chasing you and trying to kill you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the reasons for it and like the 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 way it's utilized and stuff like that really works you could have you know famously the the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is kind of like one of the originator originators of the last girl theory where like or final girl theory excuse me where um you know typically one character and, and typically a woman 
escapes mm. the 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 chaos of the slasher, right? Um, mm. and, and she does like some you know the the sorry for spoilers for the 1970s film, the Texas Chainsaw <laughs> Massacre, uh, but she does she she escapes. Um, but the film would still be as good even if she didn't, right? Like there's nothing there's nothing in the bones of the film and its message that dictate that she either has to uh, survive or has to not survive. Um, if that makes any sense, like it does not, it, it doesn't matter if everyone dies or everyone lives. The the scary part of it exists regardless of if there's an optimistic or pessimistic ending vis-a-vis the characters in the film, and and in part that's because like, you know, in Nebraska during the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's not like anyone's like, oh geez, that Texas Chainsaw Massacre is happening, right? Like it's it's isolated. It's it's like it's this very isolated kind of place. Um, whereas with the dystopia it's not it has to be everywhere everyone has to experience it all the time and so like you can't have a pocket dystopia um and i think like that totalizing element means that you don't you can end the world effectively you can end the world of your protagonists entirely Mm -hmm. and still kind of have that element of like what can we do to avoid this what can we do to like you know the, the the question that's always asked of the horror audience viewer is like okay like um what do you take from this like how how will you survive? Like, what what would you do to survive? Like, even if, even if there's no good answer, that's always what you're kind of thinking as you think about a horror movie. And like in a dystopian film or a dystopian novel, that becomes oft. I'm, perfect example. One of the examples that turned me off of dystopia for a long time before I started reading better ones. Um, and I feel bad because like the film is a classic, but I I read the novel and didn't watch the film uh, for for English class, and I think the the book is not very good. Uh, it's a book called On the Beach. I don't know if you've read On the Beach. No, um, it's a it's a fifties. I mean the 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 film's a classic because like there's a lot of really good actors in it, but um, okay. the uh, the the book is like a fifties uh, nuclear paranoia thing. Right. And basically, it follows um, these people in this post nuclear fallout trying to get to australia where they are told that um the i I might be remembering the plot wrong but like this is effectively it trying to get to australia on the sub um and and through other means where they hear that the fallout has um not hit right and then in the end of the book they get to australia and it turns out no actually that was miss that was misinformation everyone that you know in the book plus everyone in the world is going to die and it's just this it 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 was like a thud of an ending for me, not because like I was depressed, but because it was like, well, why did I put, why did I put my time into this? If like in the end, the lesson is like, there was never any hope like that. I get why you could do that in an interesting way. But if you're just doing a purely sort of like personality driven story as on the beach is in my opinion, not a politically driven story because the ultimate, ultimate like political claim is, boy, nuclear weapons sure are a problem, which is just a tautology. Um, like, I think I think at that point, it's like, yeah, I don't I don't care. Like, I, I don't care about this dystopia. Whereas with the horror story, if all of your characters die, it's like, OK, well, there's like still billions of people living. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. What does this mean to them? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. That That's my that's my guess. But I think it's a really interesting question. Like, I think horror is more versatile than almost any genre, really. Um, and the reason why, I don't know, probably has to do with catharsis, probably has to do with the the fact that it is sort of like uniquely unpleasant and pleasant at the same time to be scared. Um, but beyond that, I mean, it's it's a it's a really good question. I don't have a I don't have a full answer to. Mm. Yeah, uh, I would like to ask you one more question uh, of about a different about a different chapter, if you wouldn't mind. Oh wow! Okay, uh, I I wasn't. Prepared. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I haven't read it, but like, just I, I think it's uh, looks like it would be very interesting. Um, which yeah, the the apocalypse chapter. Oh done. yeah, yeah. Just because obviously that has. Um, obvious relevance to some of the things that we've just been talking about in terms of like the world ending and dystopias and stuff so yeah i, I just wondered if, if you could give us a little a little kind of taste of like, what you're you're dealing with in, in that chapter because yeah. and also yeah again I, I think listeners to this show are interested in uh in 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 uh dystopia and apocalypse fiction stuff like that so so i think they might be interested in in that yeah for sure so that chapter um 
that chapter was interesting because initially I was just going to do a chapter on Fallout, the 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 famous video game RPG uh, series where you basically role play and and try to survive a world that has been hit with nuclear fallout. Um, mm -hmm. Now you typically aren't playing. Actually, you never are playing that close to the to the apocalypse. I think the closest that they ever get is like a hundred, two hundred years out. Um, so the mm -hmm. apocalypse has happened, and now there are like little fallout shelters and stuff, and you know towns that are sort of like made of lean tos and everything um and so the chapter was going to be on that initially and then thinking about that game i realized that there were a lot of similarities to this other sort of less popular in the in the states but but still extremely um uh, uh influential series called uh, shin megami tensei which uh people probably would recognize the spin-off of shin megami tensei the persona series more so mm -hmm. um but the Persona series is, is isn't really about what I was interested in here, although they're they're pretty interesting games in their own right. Um, Shin Megami Tensei always is about this, <laughs> like, and, and every game somehow just like resets the 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 timeline. Like, it's never. I don't know if they exist in the same world, and if they do, uh, the poor people of Tokyo have weathered far too many apocalypses, uh, <laughs> like just total apocalypse. But like. Yeah. Typically, like a good example is the third one where, you know, after a uh, like this, basically like th this is always what happens. Someone summons some demons via a computer and it just all of a sudden every demon you could possibly imagine is infesting Tokyo. And um, in three, they just kill all the humans like you never run into any other humans except your friends uh, who have also sort of been made into partial demons like you. Um and so it's, 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 it's an utter apocalypse, and effectively all society is replaced with demons. Um, you also get versions of it where there are people living, but they have to coexist or battle demons. Um, and the games themselves represent... So, like, the, the, the kind of core of, of the, the... The core sort of insight of the chapter is that the Fallout games imagine apocalypse in a way that... Um, is very teleological, uh, which is to say the end of the world is far more in sight than the, um, well, no, that's not true. That it's not Talos in the way that the world itself ends. It's, it's more Talos in the way that like you are imagining a new society coming up out of it. It's extremely hopeful in a certain way. Right. Um, mm -hmm. and there's a kind of liberalism baked into fallout and in the best ones, uh, I fallout new Vegas is my favorite. Um, uh, there's this, there's this sense of, you know, it's not actually liberalism so much as like this extraordinarily complicated and often disappointing um, by its very nature politics that you're you're left with, right? Like the, you know, the 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 amount of people who have written the is there a left plot option in Fallout New Vegas, uh, probably like more 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 threads on that on the internet than uh, any other video game thing. <laughs> Um, because people want a, a hopeful thread and, and there isn't really, there's like a sort of like classic liberalism. There's a far, far right one that no one ever does because it's too grim. Um, yeah, stuff like that. But the, I don't know, like the, the games themselves imagine a world after the apocalypse, whereas Shin Megami Tensei forecloses that at the beginning, whenever you enter these games, like it is, you're way too far beyond to go back. And so what you are left with is this sort of, um, negotiation often literally with um demons in the world to to have them join you to sort of like figure out how you fit you get you to make choices you can make choices to sort of like destroy the world or rebuild it anew in the in the in the presence of god um literally you know the, the christian god is always a character in these games but then again like all of the various gods are, are people you can summon um but the interesting thing about Shin Megami Tensei and the interesting thing about the apocalypse it represents as opposed to Fallout is that any sort of option you have, including the quote-unquote good option, which is typically neutral, um, as opposed to, you know, like good or evil, um, the neutral option even is a fully transformative option. There's no going back to society as we knew it. It was always a new way right. of thinking about society. And that can look like totalitarianism. It can look like a sort of theocracy. Or it could look like this strange kind of like middle ground negotiation between humans and demons that uh, characterizes these neutral endings. Whereas in Fallout, you get a sort of Americanized and typically American uh, 
societal world that sort of like continues on um and there's a lot of reasons yeah, it, for it. it's like it's not really yeah it's it's kind of like like society hasn't fundamentally changed after the apocalypse things just kind of like it's it's basically like capitalism picks up uh again after the apocalypse like you yep. yeah you need with bottle caps they're, they're, i mean literally with bottle yeah. caps you, you tra- trade with nuka-cola caps yeah it's it's interesting like and it's it the you know, like even like shopkeepers in Shimigami Tensei will charge you yen to buy stuff, but they're always just like these goons in a back room who are like, "Hey, it looks like you got a lot of money." Like it's just it's just crime and like, but clearly like not it doesn't it doesn't work. Like it 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 never feels right. It never feels normal to be like, "Oh yeah, I guess I'm buying this gun." And the game is always like, "Yeah, I guess you can buy a gun like if you want." It's it's very like it's very much like aware of its own sort of absurdity and, and fallout is too fallout is like satirical and silly and fun it's not a it's not a conservative mm-hmm. game by any means but you're mm-hmm. absolutely right like it is it is an american game in that like it and i i think like honestly it it has to do with the fact that one was made in america and one was made in japan like the american game is very confident in the world's ability to get right back on track and sort of do a version of the the kind of liberal capitalism we 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 all know and love and the um the 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 um like shimigami tensei is absolutely not remotely uh convinced mm, yeah. that uh anything can come after that's the same and i think you know in some ways this has to do with the various ways that these cultures represent um futurity uh, uh Definitely has to do with the fact that Japan actually did face an apocalyptic scenario when the uh, the nuclear mm-hmm. bombs were dropped, um, and mm-hmm. you know the fact that every one of these Shimigami Tensei games has a plot line where like the Americans either have or are about to drop nuclear bombs on Tokyo to kill the demons right. uh, certainly speaks okay. to that. But yeah, it's it's fascinating to see the two approaches because I think it reveals something about what apocalypse is meant to do and how we're supposed to think about not just the way the world ends, but like what it means to have a new chance to either start again or or rebuild or just even exist within the the old um i think i i hadn't thought about it before until i thought about those two games together that was the most sort of um transformative chapter for me to write because like i thought they would be interesting in conversation but i did not realize that it would be quite like that yeah cool well if people would like to 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 read more about that uh and all the other various games that you you talk about in the book as we mentioned at the beginning it's called story mode video games and interplay between consoles and culture and uh people can pre-order it now right yeah pretty much anywhere there's uh i've, I've been sending people the uh i think it's called bookshop.org link mm-hmm. um but i have also I, I should also say it's available on amazon and that's typically how i think international readers can get it that has been my my experience thus far um, although I don't know a lot about international booksellers, so if anyone can correct me, I am happy to hear it. Uh, but yeah, I, it's on Amazon. It's on most, most sellers out there. If you just Google story mode, or, uh, if you Google my name, Trevor Strunk and story mode, you will, you will find it. And, uh, it's a preempt question you might have on that. Apparently I don't get, and it's, it's not like video games. This is maybe just a video game audience question because, uh, various vendors with video games give you more or less of the cut when you buy it. The cut's all the same for me. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, and yeah, uh, also uh, Trevor has a podcast called No Cartridge, as we mentioned, about video games. So don't forget to check that out as well. Yeah, go uh, listen to the yeah. ones with Paul on them. I think those are good episodes. Yeah, of course. Seek them out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks very much for coming to talk to me. Again, no, Trevor. thanks. Thanks fun. for having me on to ramble about my book so long. Sorry I talked so much. <laughs> that was good. Thanks. All right. Thanks. That is the end of my conversation with Trevor. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any um, comments or questions on this episode or anything else to do with the show, uh, old episodes, um, stuff you want to see in the future, whatever, then you can get in touch with me on utopianhorizonspod at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at utopianhorizons, so you can tweet me on there as well. Yeah, as well as uh, as well as Trevor's book, uh, don't forget to check out his podcast as well, No Cartridge. And yeah, I'll I'll say one more time, 
I'd really appreciate it if you could if you could check out getobject.net if you've got a moment and see the the articles I've written and the videos I've been doing there. Um, I think there's some stuff there you might like um, because it's all like it's all very much the the kind of um, the politics and approach that informs Utopian Horizons is definitely there and the stuff I'm doing there about video games as well I think so hopefully you'll enjoy that and yeah review as I get I mentioned at the at the top reviews of the show would be very cool and very helpful and please consider going to patreon.com slash utopian horizons to support the podcast um realistically if if you want to get episodes more regularly uh if you want to get episodes more frequently the only way i'm going to be able to do that is is via the patreon and kind of reaching a level of support where i can invest uh more time into it so yeah but anyway thank you for listening uh that's all for today and hopefully i'll be back soon with another episode cheers for listening bye bye (laughs) 